If you have a prayer slip or a visitor slip, if you'd pass that to the center aisle, we'll collect those and pray for you this week. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 4, Romans 4. Maybe you remember family vacations that you've taken. One comes to mind about 12 years ago. Uh, we took one um, to Texas and uh, did a number of things together as a family, and uh, we went to um, a theme park, and it started to rain, and so there are a couple things that come to my memory uh, thinking about this um, aspect of the vacation, and so it started to rain, and we didn't have any rain gear, and so we had to buy what was available, which was University of Texas Longhorn ponchos, which, you know, being an SEC committed person was uh, difficult to wear. But the second uh, thing that comes to my mind from this trip was um, we went to this theme park and we watched the killer whales perform their tricks in this massive aqua theater. And uh, after the, the show, they put on the big screen over the, the pool, believe, believe. And I was thinking as I read that, believe what? In the power of killer whales, uh, believe in yourself, um, believe in belief, believe what? And so after kicking those questions around in my mind, I was just reminded that faith and believe have taken on a hundred different vague and conflicting definitions in our culture. When we read the Bible, we hear an announcement on the front end of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he began his ministry, said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. That's how Jesus began his ministry, repent and believe the gospel. The Christian faith is not a fill-in-the-blank type of proposition, it's not a fill-in-the-blank belief system. We're not allowed to custom craft our beliefs like you walk through a line at a cafeteria and pick out what you want and then at the end it's, well, good for you. You've, you've, you've made your own faith. You should be championed or, or applauded for coming up with a, a belief system that's right for you. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. On the contrary, biblical faith, true saving faith, has substance and is evident through an obedient life. We are gathered in this room today because our faith has substance. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we have gathered in His name because we believe He is greatest. We believe that He's the only Redeemer and our hope is in Him. This isn't a take it or leave it proposition. It is our life. Jesus said in John 17, as he was praying to the Father, uh, that he was praying for his disciples that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This is eternal life, Jesus said. The demands of, of discipleship, if you just read the, the statements of Jesus in the gospel, are arresting and confronting and consuming. Consider Luke 9, 23 through 26. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 
What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This life of faith is one of surrender. It's one of purpose. God's got a calling on our life. How often we read in the New Testament, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Now, we'll never be worthy of God's salvation. But the idea here is that the weight of your life, the commitments of your life would be in line with what God has done for you through the grace of Jesus Christ. We live with a purpose. We live with a destiny that God is leading us. He is redeeming a people for his name and leading us to the throne of God above. In Romans chapter 4, in this extended session, we're going to spend the next three weeks here, and I want to examine what it means to walk by faith. I want, to, I want us to, to have fixed in our minds personally, what does it mean for me to live by faith right now in all the days of my life? I think that's what God is calling us to do. The Apostle Paul mentions the patriarch seven times and refers to him with the pronoun he or him throughout this chapter. He's held up for us. Who is this patriarch Abraham? We find a story in Genesis 12 through 25 with God's call on his life. And what we find here in Romans 4 is Paul is making the case after painting the picture of the ruin of humanity and the tragic story of the human, human race that all of us are spiraling down, that all have fallen short of God's glory. He holds up the hope of that. What do you do when you receive such bad news that left to myself I would perish in my sins? That left to myself, I would stand before God when my life is over to give an account of my life, and I would have no advocate except me and my flimsy excuses. And so Paul holds up the gospel, the good news, the good news for which he was never ashamed, that he preached everywhere he went, and we find relief in Jesus Christ. Sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. And so, how is a person made right with God? Because we have broken His laws, we are guilty before Him. All of us. And we stand guilty before Him. How do we ever hope to be declared innocent before Him? And so Paul's making a legal argument here. The way we need a righteousness outside of ourselves. In order to enter into heaven, you have to have right standing with God. How can that happen when we we don't have the resources to pull it off? And the way that happens in, in the good news of the gospel, this free gift of God, which is extended to every sinner is that by faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Christ is credited to us by believing on Him. Not by works of righteousness, which we've done. And so, 
in this saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ, what does it mean to live by faith? It's not just, well, I'm saved and therefore God said to me, good luck. That's not the the picture of the Christian life at all. We're saved by faith. We're to walk by faith. We're to live by faith. Our life is to be a picture of what it means to to walk in the obedience of faith. This faith, walk of faith was a journey of God's revelation in Abraham's life. There were periods in Abraham's life uh, where he was going, not knowing. You ever been at a point in your life where it's, it seems like, you know, this, is, this feels like a cruel joke? I, I can only imagine how Abraham must have dealt with that. You know, the, the waiting for God to fulfill his promises. There were moments of unbelievable joy. I imagine the day that Isaac was born, he went outside of his tent, looked up into the heavens and saw the stars. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord. Where I am good as the dead, that's no limitation to you. There were times of agonizing moments of surrender at, at what didn't make sense to him at all. So what does it mean to live by faith? I'm speaking primarily to believers here, those who would freely say, I, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. What does it mean for you to walk by faith in the living God? For some people, they say, well, that's a blind leap in the dark. Not for the believer, it's not. Our faith has substance. It's a feeling that everything is going to work out okay. That's not biblical faith either. It's a mysterious understanding of life where you really don't know what to expect. That's not the feeling I get. Now, I don't want to, you know, speak that there's no mystery here. There is a, a mystery in our faith. We don't know how God is going to work out the details in the future. But there's a confidence that should come, which is what we see in Hebrews 11. If you would allow me to take us on a couple of excursions this morning. One would be to Hebrews 11, which is called, what, Bible drillers? The faith chapter. There we go. And I love it when you read in the Bible clear definitions, like Hebrews 11.1, faith is. (laughs) Faith is what? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The evidence of things hoped for, and yet the conviction of things not seen. And so there is a, a sense when we believe in the promises of God, we don't see them with our eyes, but nevertheless we have a calm assurance that God is going to bring them to pass. It's responding in trust to what God has revealed. And we find that throughout this 11th chapter of Hebrews. Look at verse 4. By faith, Abel, and verse 5, by faith, Enoch, and verse 7, by faith, Noah, and verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed. So Abraham's faith, true saving faith, is a faith that obeys God. It responds to what he's revealed. Now, I would maybe just want to pause here for a moment and and talk about how, how faith is used in the Bible. Because there's several ways that 
faith is spoken of that we need to understand. The first would be doctrinally, doctrinally. And faith is referred to as the faith in Jude 3. I was eager to write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary to to write appealing to you to contend for the, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And this is talking about the body of Christian truth. So doctrinally, we have, there are truths in the Christian life that you cannot jettison, you can't put off, and at the same time be a Christian. There are, there are primary doctrines that we embrace, that God is one God, three persons. That Jesus Christ is the exclusive way of salvation. That the Word of God is indeed God's Word that is authoritative, infallible, and inerrant. These are top-tier doctrines. The body of truth given to, the, to God's people. We're to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. A second way that faith is used is in a, in a saving relationship, which is what we talk about most often. Saving faith. I think of uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's saving trust in Christ alone. It means when all is boiled down, when you look at your heart and you examine your heart, your trust is in Christ, not in you or anybody else. Not in your religious performance, not in how good you think you are, not in what other people say about you, but your hope is in Christ alone. And we find this in chapter 4 of Romans where um, he says in verse 3, For what does the scripture say? That's a good question for us to ask, isn't it? What does the scripture say? And then he quotes Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as what? Righteousness. And then a third way that faith is used, which I'm wanting to really pull out of Romans 4 for us over the next several weeks, is daily practical faith. Trusting God is a way of life. Do you relate to God in that way? Do you see Him in the details of your life? You should. Jesus made reference of that. He knows the number of hairs on your head. For some, that is not a difficult task. But nevertheless, He, he knows the number of hairs on your Head. He is aware when the sparrow falls in the field. When we read the Bible, we find that God is involved in all things. And His purpose is that we would glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I think of uh, just some snapshots in the Scripture. Uh, Genesis 5, which is a whole chapter committed to death. One man died, another had a son, the son lived, had a, had a son and died. And we, we come to Genesis 5 to a man named Enoch. And he lived 365 years, which was a short lifespan in Genesis 5. That's the chapter that includes Methuselah, which was his son. And he's the longest living man mentioned in the Bible. But Enoch lived 365 years. 
And the scripture speaks of Enoch's life in this way, that Enoch walked with God. He walked with God. And that God took him. What does that mean? Well, he was translated out of this life into the presence of God. Enoch was a man who loved God, who set the priority of his life around his relationship with God, and God took him. I remember early in my Christian life, I probably always say this when I mention Enoch, um, my pastor in college described it this way, that in the cool of the evening when Enoch went out to worship and fellowship with the Lord, God said to him, you're closer to my house now. Why don't you just come on home and be with me? He walked with God. This faith must be nurtured, friends. Your faith, like a muscle, needs to be exercised. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when we open God's word, we see how he moved in others' lives and we're caused to think about how he's moved in ours. We must remember times when God has brought us through I remember reading a statistic uh, some years back about why um, many kids in college uh, defect and so forth. And one of the, the prime reasons was they never saw their parents pray and they never saw answers to prayer in their home. Well, if you don't pray, it's for sure you won't see answers. They never really saw if their faith lived out. Can you imagine coming to church for decades? And not pray in your home? Not sing in your home? Ever? See an answer to prayer? When there's a family need, say, look, we've exhausted everything we know. We, we need to get down on our knees right now in this living room and call out on the name of the Lord. He's our hope, kids. Not our church attendance. Not our religiosity. We're going to grab hold of heaven and follow him. In times of trial and struggle. I think it's interesting too when you look at the armor of God in Ephesians 6. The apostle Paul said, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. And so every believer has been given an apportionment of armor for living for Jesus Christ in this world. And what is this list? I would point you to Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 20, and I'll just summarize it here. Uh, We've been given a belt of truth. We've been given a breastplate of righteousness. Our feet have been shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He's given us a shield of what? Faith. And what does that shield do? It quenches, it extinguishes all the fiery darts of the evil one. So once again, we're reminded the Christian life isn't a a walk through a tulip field. It's a war zone. And God has given us a shield of faith that should be apportioned when those battles come. Do you use your shield of faith? It's got to be exercised, friends. It's got to be used. Every believer has been given the same armor. A Roman soldier had two kinds of shields, a a small round shield 
used to, in hand-to-hand combat, but was also given a larger broad shield, which is about two feet by four and a half feet, that covered the soldier's entire body. And when the soldiers would advance in rows across the battlefield, uh, this formed a wall of shields to protect them from the archer's arrows and from swords. And so Paul makes this analogy that our faith should be like that. It should be several things. It should cover our lives so that nothing is left exposed. Oh, what, a, what, a, what an insight that is. We are so prone to want to um, compartmentalize our lives, and I'm this way at work, and I'm this way at home, and I'm this way at church, and I'm this way with my neighbor and friends or whatever. But God's called us to be whole. We often make the, the point here, God doesn't want us to be integers, fractions. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to be whole. Whole numbers, which would be an integer, not a fraction. And that's the whole point of integrity. And where we get the idea of integrity is that we're whole. So our shield against Satan's missiles is this kind of faith. It it is a trust in God that keeps us anchored. It means that when God gives promises, we stand on them. And we move out in obedience as we look up to him. It should be this broad shield, this picture of the soldiers moving across the field. Not only should it cover our lives so nothing's left exposed, it should be connected with other believers as a wall of protection. There's nothing that replaces being with the body of Christ on the Lord's day. There's nothing that replaces being connected with other believers to bear one another's burdens. And also it gives protection by extinguishing all the fiery darts of the evil one, these temptations that come. And he mentions it's the shield of faith. Not the faith, but of faith. Lord, I believe you in this attack. I believe you. I rest in you. So to have faith is to believe God. The whole of Christianity is the act of believing. What did Jesus do when he was tempted? What did he quote? Scripture. It is written. It is written. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so when we look at Romans 4, notice verses 12 and 13. God made him the father of the circumcised, the father of the Jewish nation, who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had. So again, we're we're presenting Abraham and looking at his life in Genesis, and I'm going to have us go there in just a moment. Because he's the example God has given for us to look to him. He is the one who believed on me and walked with me. For the promise to Abraham, verse 13, and his offspring, that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but what? Through the righteousness of faith. So let's, let's move on, secondly, to Abraham. The obedience of faith on display. Now, The Apostle Paul uses this phrase twice in Romans, the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. He does so in chapter 1, verse 5. 
where he gives the longest introduction of any of his letters. Paul did not plant the church at Rome, and so he's developing a rapport with them, and he bases his intro on his call as a servant of Christ and set apart for the gospel of God. And he says in verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about what? The obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So the gospel we embrace is a global message without a shelf life. To bring about the obedience of faith. And he also uses it in the last paragraph of this letter. This obedience of faith. And in this, uh, he, he, he says in verses 25 through 27, I'm thinking of the last part of 26, to bring about the obedience of faith through the gospel. What a, I think, insightful way for us to think about our faith. It leads to obedience. That's not adding to faith. Faith is, is obedience to God. It's doing what God has called us to do. So, Abraham's response to God's call. Think for a moment back to Abraham's story in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, Abraham is um, in, the Ur, in Ur of the Chaldees. That's the, the place in the ancient world where he lived with his family, with his father, with his father's house. Everything familiar to him, and he's there in I imagine he's probably enjoying life as much as you can as an idolater. Joshua 24.2. Abraham was an idolater, Scripture says. And we come to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham. Make note of that when you read the Bible, how often it says the Lord said, the Lord called, thus saith the Lord, the Lord spoke. I mean, even if you don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, you have to admit the Bible claims that God is speaking all the way through it. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse in you. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham is in Ur with his family, everything familiar to him. He's not thinking in Ur, you know, I want to become a great nation. I'm into nation building. I want to be a great nation, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make up a God who's promised to bless me if I move out on my own initiative. He didn't have a clue to what God was wanting to do, and he certainly wasn't thinking that. He was lost. In the blindness of his idolatry, he was lost. James Boyce comments on Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Abraham's faith is measured by several, several clearly defined steps. I think this is helpful in our own life. For us to remember back when we met with God in the gospel, when we can, as 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. To go back in your life and to ask the question, when did I start trusting in Christ? 
When did I come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? When was my life changed? And see, measured steps, and in Abraham's faith, it's measured by several clearly defined steps. His calling by God and Abraham's response in Ur, it was initiated entirely by God, but God spoke to him. I don't know how, but he made clear his message, maybe in an audible voice. This was a unique time in redemptive history. How does God speak to us in these last days? which is what the Bible describes as the time since the coming of Christ. God has spoken to us in these last days through Jesus Christ and the authority of his word. We have the canon of scripture in our hands. So God calls him. He is initiated, this is initiated totally by God. Abraham did not seek God on his own. He was not in Ur contemplating a new religion, a new path. He was not the architect of a plan for a new nation that would be God's covenant people by self-announcement. Abraham was blind and lost and dead in his uh, uh, trespasses and sins. But God, who was rich in mercy, came and spoke to Abraham and called him out. God came to him and revealed himself to Abraham just like he does to anyone who comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Abraham followed after the true God. So Genesis 12 shows us the weight of the call. God goes on record with Abraham with seven great I am's here in Genesis 12. I will will show you a land. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And I will give you this land. So Abraham has nothing in his resume that would commend himself to God. God's not looking at Abraham in the Ur of the Chaldees and saying, oh, there's something I can work with. That's not the picture at all. It's a matter of God's choice. And the reason I'm bringing this up now is we're going to hit hit this as a frontal right before us in, in, in Romans 9. And um, we see a picture of it here in Abraham and all through the Bible. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, mentions in chapter 1, verse 29, For it, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe, not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Like Abraham, you're exposed this morning to the timeless message the good news of Jesus Christ, will you believe on him as Abraham did? Will you put down your idolatry, your love of this world, or whatever sin it is that so easily besets you? Would you come to faith in Christ this morning? John, or Charles Wesley, in his, um, in his hymn, And Can It Be, I, love, I believe it's verse 3, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, Fast bound in sin and nature's night, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Wesley saw his bondage to sin as being in a prison cell, and there was a ray of light that came into that darkness, and 
inflamed the whole place. And he saw the Lord. My chains fell off. My heart was free. What a beautiful picture of salvation. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Maybe you're saying, well, surely Abraham did something. Oh, there's a response to the gospel. God's sovereignty and salvation doesn't nullify that we must believe, we must repent, and we must believe. All, all, all being gifts of God. Yes, he did. He obeyed God, as Hebrews 11 tells us. And the cha- chains of his idolatry and the spiritual blindness fell off. His heart was free, and he rose, went forth, and followed God as he led. James Boyce notes this. We would, we would think about the Christian life more accurately than we do if we would learn to think of our own responses to God in this way. And our presentation of the gospel would be more accurate too. The way we usually present the gospel suggests that we think of, of becoming a Christian as a work of ours. Deciding for Jesus and letting Jesus in to our hearts, but that makes it all man-centered. It would be better if we thought of faith simply as obedience to what God tells us to do, which is the example set forth by Abraham. So Abraham is held up as an example for all who believe. Let me note several things as we come to a close this morning, and that is I'd like to just hold up the clarity of Scripture There are many parts of the Bible I don't fully comprehend or understand. I'm in the process of trying and will spend the rest of my life doing that. But let's be clear. The Bible's clear on many things. On the fact that you and I are sinners, that we can't save ourselves, and that our only hope is Jesus Christ. It's clear on that. I remember talking to a man who was just really disgusted as I brought up the gospel And he said, all you preachers, not a single one of you knows what you're talking about. Well, we know this. (laughs) We claim to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is our hope. The clarity of Scripture is beyond dispute. Paul has taken Romans 1 through 3 to explain humanity's great need and God's perfect redemption in Christ. And here he quotes one verse in the Old Testament in Romans 4, 3. He quotes Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. If the Bible doesn't guide us, our emotions or imagination inevitably will. So the clarity of Scripture. How clear? Well, I go back to that simple exchange with Paul and Silas and the Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Walk in obedience. Secondly, standards of human goodness do not save. All the way through Romans, we will hold this up. If you were able to be saved by your works, that would give you grounds for boasting. And you know, I just, it brings back the source of our relationship with God that I'm called to walk by faith in Him and to trust Him. Are you done with sight living? Are you, are you through with living based on what you can do? I hope so. 
One of the most merciful things God can do in your life is bring you to an end, the end of yourself. Where you know it's not your money, your carefully laid plans that are most important. And in the course of bringing you to the end of yourself and you're choking on the fumes of your self-centered life, you begin to see that the meaning and purpose of life is that you would know the living God who created you and through his son that you would be reconciled to him. Not by works of righteousness which we've done. Thirdly, confidence in Christ. Abraham would see that when he offered Isaac as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah, that God is Jehovah Jireh, that he can be trusted. How does that work out in the ebb and flow of life? I think we got an example of that. If you've been following the situation with Ed Lacey, we've been crying out to God for him. His wife, Diane, who's been there with him and giving reports so we could pray for him. How do, how do we respond with confidence in Christ, even when our circumstances are so devastating. Diane wrote last night, Friday, there was a special prayer call at 7 p.m. for Ed. And she shared last night, we continue to need prayers for as Ed battles this virus. Today was another tough day. They had issues regulating the multi-layered uh, multifaceted layers of his care. However, last night's prayer watch helped me to keep my eyes on the Lord God Almighty instead of focusing on the circumstances. As I shared with my children, my soul is waiting on the Lord to carry out his plan. I confess that after such an endearing prayer time last night, I was ready to see big changes today, but obviously God is doing something different than my thoughts, and I know he is increasing my faith. So we wait, we trust, and we submit our lives and lay Ed upon the altar at the feet of Jesus Christ. That's how, that's how that, that's a picture of living by faith. And when it comes our time to die, William Perkins, the Puritan, if a man is ready and prepared to die, sudden death is in effect no death, but a quick and speedy entrance to eternal life. When waiting is all you can do, submit yourself to God. When the test ends, faith is rewarded. If not, you go to be with him which is the ultimate reward. Whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. You can't, you can't add days to your life. The Lord is in charge of that. And then finally, the gospel is a timeless message. Past, present, and future. Abraham believed. The scripture affirms that he believed. And I believe he knew Christ. Christ. Not in the full orb revelation of, of who uh, he, he is with regard to the gospel account. But in Galatians 3, it says in verse 16 that the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. And so he believed God in a saving way. And he was saved. What about you? 
What about the living out of our faith? The Apostle Paul gives the ultimate statement on that in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who, who loved me and gave himself for me. What a motivation to say, Lord, my life's a blank check, fill it in. I'm yours, all I am and hope to be, I'm yours. And with that, let's enter into a time of responding in faith. Would you bow with me in prayer? And as we prepare in these final moments to obey this obedience of faith, the thoughts of Paul Washer come to my mind. The evidence of salvation, the evidence of repentance, the evidence of faith is a changed and a changing life. Lord, in these closing moments, I pray for your word to do its work in us. I pray for those who have not come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, that they would once again, as they think about this message, maybe some for the first time, would surrender to you, would believe as Abraham believed. And Lord, for many of us as we're seeking to work out our salvation in fear and trembling to bring the tests and trials to you knowing that they come from your hand and that we would believe you and rest in you until we see you. Lead us now we pray in these closing moments in Jesus name, amen.